The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Welcome to the Tabernacle. Morning. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors. And I want to remind you that the Tabernacle's mission is simply this. Try to make it as easy to remember as we possibly can. Love God, love people, and make disciples. That's why we exist. To love God with everything we have. To love people as we love ourselves. And to make disciples. And when we do that, The Holy Spirit of God changes lives. That's our vision. That's what the tabernacle's about, in case you're wondering, or in case you forgot. It's love God, love people, make disciples, and change lives. How? By God's Spirit, working in us and working through us. We're coming to the uh, conclusion. Today is the conclusion of our Spirit Series where we've been looking at the Holy Spirit, uh, not completely in depth, but trying to stir up as much as we can. And as we come to this last message, this last message is about dangerous spirits. You see, there are other spirits besides the Holy Spirit, capital S, there are other spirits in the world. And we can't ignore that. We have an enemy. We have an enemy that wants to kill, steal, accuse, Lie, divide, and destroy. And many times as Christians, we don't like to talk about that because we don't have a stomach for that, right? We want to, hey, when is the rainbows and unicorns happen? And why do we have to go negative? We're not going negative today. We're not looking for demons behind every bush. But we are going to look at dangerous spirits, small s, that have a way of infecting us. They infect our faith. They infect our understanding. They infect our relationships. And when they infect our church, they become cancer. When they infect your marriage, they become cancer. And so what we're going to look at today is 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look specifically at what the Apostle John wrote to the church. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. And we're going to look at the three most dangerous spirits. In my view, they're the three most dangerous spirits. And they kind of come out of the text. And uh, we'll trust that God's got something in there for us. So John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is speaking to us in 2019. Not just 2,000 years ago. God's Spirit has preserved His Word. So what was said to them is also said to us. And so let's hear together. 
Starting in verse 1. And by the way, since we're the tabernacle, we're just going to read the whole chapter. John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so the first dangerous spirit is exactly that, the spirit of error or the spirit of false teaching or the spirit of false teachers. And he warns us, plain and simple, that there are false prophets, there is false teaching, there are false teachers, it's the spirit of the Antichrist, and it's already in the world. And this was written 2,000 years ago. So 2,000 years ago, it's right after the ascension of Jesus, we're in the book of Acts, and you know, the church has been, been established, and already, men and women are preaching for selfish gain. And they're preaching something besides... The clear gospel message. And he, he says right there that there's, that there's an enemy. And it's the spirit of Antichrist. And it's, and it's working. And so that's a dangerous spirit for us. When we latch on to something that's not from God. That's how we're deceived. That's how we get divided. That's how we get pulled away. And our affection, what it was intended for, goes in a different direction. Now, this is for all of us. So if you're a student here today and you're like, well, this is just grown-up talk. No, it's for students. If the enemy can sow seeds of false teaching in your heart as a youngster, that grows to fruition when you're an adult. This has to do with our parenting. This has to do with our marriages. This has to do with church. What do I mean by that? I think I've said before, I'll say it again, that a child's idea of who God is from the time they're young is their father. Dads, listen up. You can be used to sow seeds that the enemy once sown in your child's heart from a young age that could take years of work by the Spirit, years of therapy and counseling to undo because they got a wrong view of who God is and what God's about from dad or from mom. Do you use guilt to motivate? I didn't even preach this the other two times I've already preached this. This just came out. I don't know why. Somebody's here that needs to hear this. Thank you, Lord, and you're welcome. It's a spirit of the Antichrist that finds its way in. And it's not just through parents. It comes through preachers. It comes through movements. It, it, it can be your favorite book. Oh, it's a book that really impacted you. It's a, it's a group of conferences. And he tells us right there, he says, beloved, which by the way, don't you just love John? You know, he doesn't say, hey, listen up. He goes, beloved. I'm going to start using that. 
Beloved, listen up. Don't you just feel good? A little creepy, isn't it, right? He said, there's truth and there's error and that you should test the spirits. In 1 Corinthians 12, we covered the gifts of the spirit a couple weeks ago. We talked about the different types of gifts. You'll notice in 1 Corinthians 12, one of the gifts is the gift of discerning spirits. That's what he's talking about. And the spirit can be an attitude. The spirit can actually use a Christian's mouth. It's false teaching. We see that in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus was telling the disciples right after Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he took that risk and he says, I believe you're the one. And he says, good, huddle up, listen up. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. He said, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. Don't upset the boys. You shouldn't say that. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan. The spirit of antichrist was already in the world. Anti-Messiah. If Jesus doesn't go to the cross, we're not saved. Jesus doesn't go to the cross, we're not forgiven. Jesus doesn't go to the cross, there is no hope for you or for me. False teaching, it's a dangerous spirit. And he also tells us in just those first six verses how we combat that spirit. And it's simply this. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the hero. Make Jesus the hero. Jesus is our hero. Goodness sakes, is there a pulse in this building this morning? Jesus is the hero. Anyone there with us? He's saying any teacher that it's about him and not Jesus, don't listen to him. Any teaching that Jesus isn't central, don't listen to that teaching. You might as well just listen to Dr. Phil or watch Oprah, get some self-help books, Tony Robbins, have fun walking across fire, do something like that. Get a six-pack, work out, go vegan, have fun with kale, eat some tree bark, (laughs) whatever. The teaching where Jesus is the hero, that's the spirit of truth. We try to instill in every person as we train those that will stand up here and preach and teach or or if they're going to stand and preach and teach to our youth or to our children, make Jesus the hero of your sermon. And we do our best to always make Jesus the hero, whether we're studying the Old Testament or the New, Jesus is always the hero. Jesus is the hero of this book. Jesus is the hero of my life. Jesus is the hero of your salvation. Jesus is the bedrock and the cornerstone and the hero of the church. And any church where Jesus is not the hero is a cult. It's not, and it can look nice, and they can do good works. If Jesus isn't the hero, spirit of Antichrist. Boom, there's a verse, read it. So how do we overcome it? Jesus is the hero. See, some of us, we don't make Jesus the hero of our faith. We want a preacher to be the hero of our faith. We want a person to be the hero of our faith. We want a program to be the hero of our faith. And and it sneaks in, because people are nice, And preachers are great. That was sarcasm, by the way. There's always some person who's like, wow, he's full of himself. You don't get the point. You should get out more often. Um, We love to put people on pedestals. And then when they fail, we turn away from Jesus. Jesus is the only pedestal that you can't kick the pedestal out from underneath him. Because it's more than a pedestal. It's a throne. Because he's a king. Jesus is the hero. And the danger when we make someone else a hero, wow, 
then you know it's the spirit of Antichrist, right? I'll tell you, we've, we've had a lot of questions that have come in for our annual meeting tonight, which by the way, I'm excited. I'm excited about tonight. I hope you come. Uh, if you don't come for the gift, there's more gifts for me. So there you go, right? Uh, so it's on you and I get your gift, which is awesome. Uh, but um, uh, the different questions, there's just two that just come to my mind right now. Um, probably the question that blessed me the most was this. It said, uh, so who exactly is the head pastor? And I went, mission accomplished. That means, at least for that person, we're doing a good job of making Jesus the hero. Making Jesus the hero. Now, there was another question I want to share with you, and which, by the way, just as a way of a public service announcement, uh, we are never, ever, ever again going to uh, receive questions uh, anonymously. For obvious reasons. Right? Because when you don't have to sign your name to it, some people, some people, not a lot, a few, can say some really horrible things, right? This question uh, actually used profanity, and I don't know which campus it came from, but they wanted to know, are we really equal campuses, or is that just um, horse hockey? (laughs) Uh, And uh, 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 because... We get a lot of screens, and that doesn't feel fair. And I was like, hmm, so God's gifted us with technology in this day and age, and we get to use screens so we can extend our reach. And we have felt this, this, because Jesus is our hero, we want to make Jesus the hero in more than just this place, and so we want to export this, right? And, And I started thinking about that. The idea that a pastor or a certain pastor has to be here live, someone's got the wrong hero. That's a danger. You see, if Jesus is the hero, it doesn't matter who's bringing his word. It doesn't matter who's standing live or on. It, It doesn't matter. Jesus is the hero. So we exist to point people to Jesus. That's how we overcome the spirit of error is by making Jesus the hero, not making a person the hero. You know, I've been here 15 years. I, you know, I'm thinking right now, there's some people, you know what their hero was? Potlucks. Potlucks were the hero. Well, this is a church that doesn't care about anymore because we never get together and have a potluck and eat together and I miss the potlucks. Well, to be honest, it just got so big, there was, couldn't do potlucks anymore. We couldn't fit all in the same room. Now, how are we going to do it with over 1,000 people in two campuses? How are we going to have a potluck? Rent a stadium? We haven't even put a sign on the building yet. We've got some priorities, right? So what's your hero? Is it the potluck? But watch this. I'm not just trying to be facetious. We make a program our favorite thing. We make a program our favorite thing. Sunday school becomes our hero. You know, I'll never forget sitting, uh, uh, I was standing, I was right there, and it was on a fight club Thursday night, and a guy said to me, and he said, why don't we have fight club, or why don't we have Sunday school at this church? What's the matter with this church? And I said, well, what happens? Well, you know, I used to be a part of a men's Sunday school class where guys got together, sat at a table, and we read the Bible, and we talked about how it applied to our lives, and we really got to know people in that Sunday school class. And I said, welcome to fight club. And he goes, no, we're Sunday school. And I said, um... You mean there was a table where a group of guys got around? They talked about Jesus and how he applied to their lives? And it, yeah. And I said, why don't you go to your table? <laughs> you see, the tradition became the hero. 
Did it have to happen on a Sunday? What, what, what's, what's wrong with having it on a Thursday? We do that all the time. I do that. I do that. Our favorite thing, we want to make it our hero. Jesus is the hero. He's the only hero. Your preacher's not your hero. Your discipler is not your hero. Your favorite program is not your hero. Better keep going. Verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now you might say, well, it was obvious in the first verses it said that we should test the spirits, but where is the dangerous spirit here? Well, I don't know if you noticed this, but in my Bible I underlined every time in those 12 verses it used the word beloved, beloved, or love. It's 14 times in 12 verses. There's more love in those 12 verses than sentences. You get the point of what John is trying to tell us by God's spirit, that love is really, really important. And if love is really, really important, the dangerous spirit is an unloving spirit. So the most dangerous spirit is not making Jesus the hero. That's a false teaching. That's a false teacher. That spirit of antichrist. The second one comes from when you do make Jesus the hero. And that is because God is love. Love is now living in you. An unloving spirit is a dangerous spirit. Well, you might say, well, listen, I love God. I just struggle loving people. Ah, you got a problem. (laughs) Because if you really love God, God is love, and you love God because he loved you first, that love is just going to ooze out of you. It's going to infect everything you touch. You know, one of the reasons we tell churches to reach out is so we can share what we have. What if there was just a complete, dangerous, unloving spirit here, right? People were married but didn't really act that way. They didn't really love each other. Families, you know, kids really kind of resented their parents and parents are resenting their kids and why did I have you anyways? And, and we don't really like the people in church and it's just full of this unloving attitude. That person annoys me. That person irritates me. Why do they even come here? And da-da-da-da-da. You think it doesn't happen? If that's what's permeating through a church, why would we ever reach out? Just keep that poison contained. That's like Chernobyl. Just put a big concrete thing over top of it and just keep that here. But when you get a community of believers that are sacrificially loving God, that are generously loving one another, where there's this overwhelming sense, like it was in the book of Acts, those people really loved each other. In fact, it says in the book of Acts that people were attracted to the early Christians by how much they loved each other. Wow, export that. Export that. 
Share that love on the streets. Share that overseas. Share that with Manistee or any other place God tells you to export that. An unloving spirit is not from God. You know, I shared the mission of our church comes from the great commandment. What is the greatest commandment that summarizes all the law? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because love is a big deal. And not loving is not from God. How do we combat this unloving spirit? It's simple. It's to remember that love, get this, love is the measure Love is the measure. Love is the measuring stick for your faith. Love is how we measure spiritual maturity. There's a problem in churches. There's a problem sometimes with Christians, even in our own church, is we make knowledge the measure. Oh, that guy, he's a mature Christian. He knows so much about the Bible. But does he love? If you have knowledge and do not have love, what does it say? You're like a clanging gong or or, or a clashing cymbal. You're just a whole lot of noise and a whole lot of mouth because love is the measure. Love is the measure. John says that to us. If there's not love, God doesn't live in him. How do you love, church? Men, how do you love? Women, how do you love? Students, children, how do you love? How much do you love? Love is the measure. Oh, well, you know, I'm not very loving, but I have faith. So what? Faith got you saved, but there's no growth if there is no love. God is love. There's a verse. We'll read it here in a few moments. God is love. And God takes up residence in our lives through the Spirit. So love is going to pour out. If there's no love, there's no God. Because love is the measure. Holiness is not the measure. We're only truly made holy because Christ lives in us. And what is true holiness? Love. Oh, but, you know, I do a good job of checking off all the boxes of whatever holy looks like. Okay, you're a really nice religious person. Love is the measure. I've met some really holy people that appear very religious, and they're some of the most unloving people you can possibly imagine. They're gossips, they backbite, they're racist. How can you be a racist and be a Christian? You can't. At least not a very good one, because love is the measure. And an unloving spirit is a dangerous spirit. And we see that sometimes with how we speak to one another, or how we speak about others in general. So if Jesus is your hero, love will be in your heart. And when love for God and love for people pour out, these dangerous spirits don't get a foothold. In the last part of this chapter, starting in verse 13, this is how John writes. He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, I'm not trying to have a speech impediment, but you may have noticed that there were two words that I emphasized over and over and over, and that was we and us, us and we, we and us. And that may be a familiar passage to many of you, but I think there's a clue to another dangerous spirit. And I think it's why it's included right after the spirit about testing the spirits and then the teaching about loving. Because in those verses, he continues to talk about love and and that if, if you claim to have love and you hate your brother, you're a liar, right? And if you claim to love God, but you hate your brother, the love of God doesn't live in you. It's the same thing, John. What is the spirit? It's a spirit of disunity, That's a dangerous spirit. And it's pointed out by the fact that everything John uses in his illustration there has to do with the community, which is the church. But it also has implications for marriages, for your work, for a team, for a staff, for a campus, one church in two locations. The spirit of disunity will kill a marriage. A spirit of disunity will kill a marriage. It'll kill a campus. A spirit of disunity will kill a church and it's cancer in a church. One of the questions uh, uh, this week was, uh, so what exactly is one church in two locations? Well, if there's disunity, it's not one church in two locations. What one church in two locations is is simply this, unity. And unity appears to be a really, really, really big deal to God. If he's going to say 12 times in just those verses, we, us, us, and we, unity must be a big deal. And there's a spirit of disunity that divides. And there's a spirit of disunity that is poison. And sometimes it comes in through places that uh, you never, ever, ever expect. Some of you are looking at me like maybe you don't believe that a spirit of disunity is dangerous. Do you know that in the New Testament, in the scripture, there is more said about preserving unity than about heaven and hell? There's more teaching about that. Unity. How do we get that? How do we prevent ourselves? 
from dividing? How do we prevent ourselves from splitting apart? And not just splitting apart. There's a lot of churches that they keep coming together on a weekend and they worship, but they're not unified. So when they're not unified, they're not going anywhere. I've coached longer than I've been a pastor. I was a player before that. And I pass on to my players the same thing I've heard from coaches. When it comes time to call a play, it's better for every player on the field to do the same thing than for everyone to do their own thing. Because when everyone does their own thing, it splits apart and the play never works. You can call the wrong play in the wrong situation and still have it work out if everybody's going in the same direction. That's unity. Unified teams win. Disunified teams don't win. Unified marriages win. Disunified marriages don't. Unified relationships stay strong and they're full of love. And and if you've made Jesus the hero and you're measuring things by love and you choose unity, oh, there it is. That's how we fight that spirit. Unity is a choice. Unity is a choice. Unity is not a feeling. Unity is not about, well, now they're doing things the way I want them to, so I'll be unified. No, that's not a choice. That was an ultimatum. Unity with any group of more than one is a choice. When you stand before an altar or wherever and and, and you choose to get married, you've made a choice to be unified. Because you're not going to feel it probably within 24 hours, if not 24 minutes, or 24 days, or 24, sooner or later, there's going to be that tension, and you have to choose unity. You choose to stay together. It's the same thing with the church. You choose it on a team. You choose it with a staff. You choose it at your work. Unity is always a choice. You see, in order to have unity, there's a certain amount of yourself you have to set aside. Because if you don't, then you're selfish. Selfish people are terrible at unity. They're great at making it all about them. But there's a selfishness that you have to set aside. And there's something related to selfishness that we struggle with, is we also have to give up an element of control. Selfishness and control are usually what we fight over in any group that's trying to be unified because someone has to make a decision. Someone's got to make the plan. There's got to be a certain amount of compromise. And disunity can kill. Disunity destroys. That's anything. So it's interesting. Uh, And I'm trying to be careful. I I really don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Um, But whoever wrote this question, I believe is obviously attends the Buckley campus. And uh, it was actually quite fun, this question, or we had some fun with it. We don't mean to disregard the question, but um, it just illustrates the point too well. So if this was you, I love you, beloved. (laughs) Thank you for this illustration. The question, which was anonymous, went like that. It said, why did you send Kit away? Why did I send Kit away? We really love Kit, and Kit was doing a great job. What happened that you would send him to Manistee so secretive-like? There must be something behind it. And then this is my favorite part. We should have had a say in whether or not Kit 
would be sent to Manistee. Now, come on, that's funny. You guys are sitting there. You want to know too? I didn't send anybody anywhere, first of all, right? Second of all, Manistee is not Exile Island where we send people when they're naughty. Right? I mean, that was just, that was priceless. Now, Kit liked the question because it made him feel good. They love me, beloved Kit. And, and I, I thought we were really clear as why Kit... Okay, so this is what happened. Kit's the executive pastor. You would perceive that that position in the world's eyes has a lot of power. And Kit stepped down from that position because he and his wife felt God were calling them to go and minister to people in Manistee. No one was sent. If anyone was sent, Kit said to me last night, God sent me. So if you wanted to have a say, self control. I want to be in control. Take it up with Jesus. Right? So we're going to let Jesus be in control if that's okay with you. Right? Jesus is the hero and love is the measure and unity is a choice. So we have to give up some of those things, some of those perceived rights in order to have unity. But it doesn't work if Jesus isn't the hero. Because if you're the hero, and this could be any of us, if you're the hero and it has to be about you, your marriage is not going to work. If, if love is not the measure, and it's something, you know, if it's what he did or what she did or how much I give or how much she gives, marriage isn't going to work. If you don't choose unity... And instead you choose self and you have to be in control and it has to be about you. That marriage is doomed to failure. And it's the same thing with your team. Your ministry team. If, if, if it's about your identity and what you can do. You know what? I, I just, man, coffee is my passion and I just do coffee. Well, if coffee's the hero and Jesus is not the hero, what happens when we decide that, I don't know, um, uh, bagels are the hero and it's no longer coffee. There's no coffee to be had. It's only bagels. Well, I don't like bagels. I like coffee. I'm out. Well, you had the wrong hero. Coffee was your hero or your favorite music or his music style. It's Jesus has got to be the focus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then we make love the measure of everything we do. You know, our people, our students becoming more loving Towards their parents, uh-oh. Towards their siblings. Towards people outside the church. This has so many applications for us, not just within the church. I was talking to uh, Martin, our student ministries pastor, and, and he brought up something. And so, you know, we go after men a lot, and we, you know, we just started giving it to the ladies a little bit about their hatred of other women. That's why they don't go to the women's retreat. I'm not going to stop saying it. So we'll go after students for a minute. So I said to Martin, I said, Martin, talk to me about, or we were talking about the makeup of the, of the firehouse student ministry right at this campus. You know what he said to me? He said, uh, John, the vast majority of our students aren't from this church. They're not from any church. They're just there to hang out on a Wednesday night. I said, that's awesome. He said, yeah, except because of that, some of our students choose not to be a part of firehouse because they don't want to be associated with those kids. Wow. Who's the hero? Where's love? Where's choosing? And maybe it's not the student. Maybe it's a parent. 
remember when uh, I was the youth pastor and we started the firehouse. And I remember one of our staff members, uh, she had teenagers and uh, her teenagers didn't come to youth group. And I asked her one time, I said, why don't your students come to youth group? I was the youth pastor. And she was like, uh, well, I don't need my kids in there. Those kids in there, they're... <clears throat> and I'm like, have you ever thought about that's why those students are there? And you're leaving me with all these wild pagans? I need the influence of your good students because I'm in there with a hundred wild pagans and I don't have any of the church kids because they're too busy at home doing something else, being protected in the bubble. The next week, she sent her husband. He stood in the back and watched like this the whole time. And then the next week, all her kids were there. And she said, you're right. She chose to make Jesus the hero. She chose to make love be the measure. And she chose to allow her kids to be unified. And they became part of that student ministry. You see how this applies? This could help your marriage big time. This could help your family. It could help your relationship with your parents. Your relationship with your friends. I know for sure that there's dangerous spirits in this world. And we fight them with the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth that always points to Jesus. That always measures by love. And always chooses unity. With that, the tabernacle charges the gates of hell with squirt guns. Let's pray. Father, by your spirit, You've spoken to us through scripture. Spirit, I pray that you would convict hearts. That where there's sin, we would repent. Where there's selfishness and control, we would relinquish that. Where we've been unloving, would you remind us of the cross? God, would you, by your spirit, empower us to choose unity, that you would empower us to love deeply and may Jesus always be the hero, the only hero of everything we do. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.